Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Procurement is a demon that walks among us, a predator that ruined families. The Lisk, Long Island serial killer podcast, was shocked when the news broke of Rex Hewerman's arrest. After more than a decade of searching, law enforcement officials had finally pieced together enough evidence to bring formal charges against Rex Hewerman. Initially charged with three murders, Hewerman is now officially charged with all four deaths in the Gilgo 4 case. I'm your host, Chris Moss, and the List Podcast will be releasing new episodes with interviews and fresh insight on the case as Rex Hewerman awaits trial in Long Island. While we are relieved by the arrest, the List Podcast team will be working hard to share new developments and perspectives as we get them. So please keep your eyes and ears out for new episodes, and if you haven't already, please listen to seasons one and two of Lisk, Long Island Serial Killer, wherever you listen to podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder. Some cases remain seared in the back of people's minds for decades to come. Today's story, this particular case, is one of those that I don't think anyone can ever forget. On February 20th, 1977, a young girl was born who would go missing and for decades, the man everyone believed was responsible, was able to walk around freely. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Kristen Denise Smart was born on February 20th, 1977 in Bavaria, West Germany to parents who taught military children on base before moving back to the U.S. and settling in Stockton, California when she was a child. After graduating from high school in 1995 and working as a lifeguard and camp counselor in Hawaii, Kristen enrolled at California Polytechnic State University in San Luis Obispo in 1996 and attended classes for about a year. Things were going great for the young woman, and on the night of May 25th, 1996, Memorial Day weekend, she decided to attend a birthday party at a fraternity house, and after a friend of hers decided to head back to the dorms early, walked into a room full of people that she didn't know all alone. By 2 a.m., she was found passed out on a neighbor's lawn by two fellow students. Cheryl Anderson, and Tim Davis, and the pair tried their best to get Kristen onto her feet and walk her back to her nearby dorm. While doing so, another student, Paul Flores, 
joined the group and offered a helping hand to get Kristen home safely. Tim, who lived off campus, decided that Cheryl and Paul could handle the situation and left to go get his car. And Cheryl soon split off herself and made her way to the Sierra Madre Hall after Paul, claiming he lived close to Kristen's dorm, assured her that he could walk her there on his own. That was the last time anyone saw the college freshman ever again. Two days after Kristen attended that off-campus party, Denise Smart got a call from Cal Poly's campus police asking if her daughter came home for the weekend. Unfortunately, the officers assumed she was off enjoying the holiday weekend on some unannounced vacation and ignored her worried friends who knew something was amiss. By the time they took the claim seriously, Kristen had been missing for four days. And despite her family's calls to the police, she wasn't officially reported missing with the local authorities until a week after that party. Now aware of the situation, volunteers were gathered together to search for Kristen by foot, by horse, and using ground-penetrating radar devices. Six days after she went missing, police finally interviewed the last people to see Kristen that night, including Paul Flores, who said that after the other two students left, he walked her over to his dormitory building, Santa Lucia Hall, and knowing her dorm was nearby, allowed her to walk the rest of the short distance on her own. According to Kristen's family, though the police seemed to drag their feet in investigating Paul, the last person to see their daughter alive, they were extremely quick to judge the young girl. And in an incident report filed by the campus police, she was described as not having any close friends at Cal Poly, that she was under the influence the night of her disappearance, and that she was, quote, talking with and socializing with several different men at the party. While victim blaming was already beginning, police finally decided to bring in some of the cadaver dogs. And when searching the campus, four of them reacted to the room belonging to Paul Flores. It was later learned that, just two days after Kristen vanished, Paul went to the Arroyo Grande Police Department for an outstanding DUI warrant. And in that mugshot, it looks like he's sporting a pretty wicked black eye. An injury that, depending on who asked Paul, got at least three different explanations. While all of that could have been seen as one big coincidence, things start to look a little more suspicious when investigators, in speaking with fellow female students, learned that Paul earned the nickname Chester the Molester on campus and was known for groping girls. Though all of these things seem damning now, the investigation wasn't really heading in any direction because for about a year, not a single trace of Kristen Smart was found on the campus or in Paul's dorm. That was until October of 1996, when a woman named Mary Lassiter was renting Paul's mother's home in Arroyo Grande and found a single earring that seemed to match the necklace that Kristen was wearing in one of the many missing persons posters. She turned the piece over to a detective, but it somehow was lost before ever being marked as evidence. Searches continued for the next decade, but despite suspicions landing squarely on Paul Flores, various properties and areas of interest were looked at and yielded no results. It should be mentioned, however, that the investigators did not immediately search the Flores residence after Kristen's disappearance, giving, in the opinions of many, ample opportunity for evidence to be destroyed. 
On March 25th, 2002, on the sixth anniversary of her disappearance, Kristen Smart was declared legally dead. And in 2005, Denise and Stan Smart filed a civil case of wrongful death against Paul Flores. Even if the police could not or would not publicly acknowledge him as the killer, the family and much of the world were pretty sure he was the man responsible. The suit unfortunately had to be dropped due to lack of evidence after Paul pleaded the fifth. And about a year or so later, his family turned around and filed a suit against the Smarts for emotional distress. It never resulted in a judgment. The case was, after years of losing steam, reviewed between 2011 and 2016, and the FBI placed Kristen on file as a high-priority missing persons investigation with a reward of $75,000 for any information leading to a resolution. That number was later increased by another $100,000 by a Delta-area man named Terry Black to anyone who could lead authorities to Kristen's body. Now, while all of this was happening, a man named Ian Parkinson was sworn in as sheriff of San Luis Obispo County. And as part of his campaign, he promised to make Kristen Smart's case a priority. Since he stepped in, the department has executed 23 search warrants, 96 different interviews, and collected an additional 258 pieces of evidence in the case. And through it all, Paul Flores remained the prime suspect. On September 6, 2016, the sheriff's office announced that they were investigating a new lead and the world watched with bated breath as cadaver dogs from the FBI were brought in and investigators prepared to spend the next four days evacuating an area on Cal Poly's campus. After three days, items were found at all three dig sites and sent in for analysis to see if they were connected to the case. As of 2020, they were still being investigated. Things went quiet again until September 30th of 2019, when a podcaster named Chris Lambert released a series of 10 episodes in which he detailed Kristen Smart's case and effectively reignited public interest, enough so that a brand new billboard finally replaced the one that had been up since 1997. Then, on January 18th, 2020, the Stockton Record reported that the FBI had contacted Kristen's family with some sort of news and allegedly told them that they, quote, might want to get away for a while. This, however, was later corrected when they found that, while the FBI itself did not contact the family, a retired agent had been speaking with them for years and was the source of this advice. Regardless, the tip seemed to have some sort of truth in it, because on January 29, 2020, the San Luis Obispo Police Department announced that two trucks owned by Paul Flores were being taken in as evidence. And on February 5th, search warrants were issued for, quote, specific items of evidence at two locations in the county, one in Washington State and another at a home in Los Angeles. While the search took place, Paul Flores was detained. On March 22, 2020, the LA Times reported that another warrant was served at Paul's home in San Pedro and that, quote, numerous items of interest were found during the search. Items like date rape drugs and homemade videos showing Paul engaging in sodomy and raping young women. 
On February 11th, 2021, it was reported that Paul Flores was officially arrested, not for murder, but for suspicion of being a felon in possession of a firearm. That March, a search warrant was issued for his father's home, which included cadaver dogs and ground-penetrating radar, and at the end, an old Volkswagen was towed away after the dogs reacted to the vehicle. This is where all of those search warrants, all that waiting, and all that time spent keeping the case alive finally started to pay off. At the home of Ruben Flores, behind the latticework underneath the deck, archaeologists working for the police found a soil disturbance that, when measured, was about the size of a casket. Though too degraded for a DNA sample, the spot contained human blood, and on April 20th, 2021, it was announced by the prosecutors their belief that Kristen Smart's body had been buried beneath the deck at the time of her death, but had recently been removed. By the time the announcement was made, both Paul and Ruben Flores had been taken into custody. Paul was finally charged with the murder and Ruben with being an accessory. A week later, both men pleaded not guilty, and though Ruben was able to post bail after the amount was lowered from $250,000 to $50,000, Paul remained in custody awaiting his trial. After decades of fighting for justice, things finally came to a climax in July of 2022, when after a number of delays and a change of venue, opening arguments began in the Paul Flores murder trial. Now, while the prosecution argued that Paul, now 45, killed 19-year-old Kristen Smart during an attempted rape back in May of 1996, the defense made waves by pointing the finger at another high-profile suspected murderer and naming him as the guilty party. You see, during the Lacey Peterson murder investigation, unfounded rumors swirled around the media that her husband and suspected murderer, Scott Peterson, might have had something to do with Kristen's disappearance due to their simultaneous attendance at the Cal Poly campus. He, of course, denied all of the allegations and was ruled out by police, but the defense, hoping to save their client, was hoping the connection would establish reasonable doubt. The plan was a failure, and on October 18, 2022, two separate juries who were hearing the cases found Paul Flores guilty of first-degree murder and Ruben Flores not guilty of accessory after the fact. Paul was sentenced to 25 years to life on March 10th, 2023. He will be eligible for a parole board hearing in 15 years. His lawyer, who attempted to file a request that the charges be dismissed during the proceedings, claims that his right to a fair trial was violated because of prosecution errors and, quote, the admission of junk science of evidence. Going further to say, quote, there is a reason that a case against Paul Flores was not brought for 25 years. And, quote, there was no evidence of a murder or that Paul Flores committed it. In the aftermath of the long fight for justice, the Kristen Smart Campus Security Act was written, passed, and signed into effect in 1998. It requires that all public colleges and publicly funded educational institutions have their security services make agreements with local police departments about reporting cases involving or possibly involving any of their students. The Smart family also helped to create the Kristen Smart Scholarship in hopes of helping young women pursue their higher education and impact the world like their daughter hoped to. 
To this day, Kristen Smart's body has never been found. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. And thank you to both Duh It's Steph and Raven for suggesting today's story. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on February 21st. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.